1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter of the Bible, but you cannot start with verse 1 without first going backward into chapter 12, because chapters 12, 13, and 14 go together. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about miracles, uh, what the miracles are, how long miracles were to last, uh, what the miracles were to be used for. Those types of things are being addressed in Matthew, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 12, 13, and 14. But before you dig into this love chapter, chapter 13, and if you look back in the previous chapter, in particular verse number 31, it says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Now remember the gifts that are being referred to here are miraculous gifts. Now it would be really cool to heal a disease, wouldn't it? I mean, if you had that ability and you could just say, all right, you got the COVID, bam, gone. That, and, and don't have to worry about losing smell, losing your taste, none of that stuff. It's just gone. Don't worry about it. Or maybe something um, a little more um, serious, if you will, from a standpoint of what we have commonly thought of as being serious through the years, cancer, gone. No cancer. Don't worry about it. Or if we were to say, okay, loved one, is gone. Snap the fingers, loved one is back. That would be a really incredible thing to be able to do, wouldn't it? And so it says in verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. The best gifts are yet to come. Because you see it says, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. The more excellent way is the way of the better gift. And it is a gift that we all must have. And it's the gift of love. I want us to talk about three things that love is from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is essential, love is behavioral, and love is eternal. And the chapter just naturally divides itself into these three points or applications. If you look in verse number 1 through verse number 3, the Bible there tells us that love is something that is essential. When we think about qualities or, or matters of essentiality with respect to Jesus and his church, there are some things that we just gravitate to. We talk about the essentiality of baptism. We talk about the essentiality of, you know, the way that we worship. We talk about the essentiality of the organization of the church. And all of those things are right, and yes, they are essential. But none of them are more essential than the essentiality of love. In fact, as Paul would write in the first few verses here, you may have some of these other gifts, but if you don't have love you really don't have anything. And we might even add, without changing the tenor of Bible teaching, that you may have some of these other essentials about you, such as salvation matters, worship matters, church organization matters, and so on. You may have those things organized just perfectly, but if you don't have love, what's it matter? Does it really matter anything at all? So let's listen to what Paul says in the first three verses here. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. Speaking with the tongues of men and of angels. I'm going to say just immediately, I'm not sure what is meant by the tongues of angels. There's a lot of speculation about it, but I, don't, I really don't know. 
If you've got some insight into that, fine. Uh, but I'm just going to speak to that which makes the most sense to me in the context. And that's where it talks about the tongues of men. You know, when we look back in the book of Acts chapter 1 and um, the Luke, the inspired writer, says that the disciples are going to receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon them. In chapter 2, what did they do? They spoke in tongues. And in Acts 2, verses 1 through about verse 8, you're going to find the use of the word tongue and then the use of the word language. And those words are used interchangeable through that context. And so when he says that they spoke with other tongues, what he was saying is they were speaking in other languages. They were speaking a language that they had never learned before. That would be like me going to China and all of a sudden being able to speak in uh, Cantonese. I've never studied uh, Cantonese. I have no idea how to speak it, don't know how to write it, but all of a sudden I can go to China and I can just speak a language that I've never studied before. A language that would be speaking in tongues. Well, he's saying, I might have this gift, and this gift was incredible. And there were people vying for this gift. I want this ability to speak with tongues. You may have the ability to speak with tongues, but if you don't have love, you know what you are? You are like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Or, as another translation may say here, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The translation behind me is the English Standard Version. What is that? What is, what is the significance of that? Well, again, it's one of those areas of language when we go back and look into it, it's, it's a... Uh, scholars seem to think it means different things, but here's one thing that they, they land on and agree about. And that is this idea of a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal is notoriety. I might have this ability to speak in tongues, languages that I've never studied before, and that would be really cool. But what was the point of it? When we look at 12, 13, and 14, the point of it was to bring people to Jesus. That was the point. But if I do these things, and I may even speak a good word for Jesus in using this miraculous gift, but if I don't have love, it's basically like I've just climbed up in a pulpit like this, and I've just said, hey, everybody, look at me. Look at me. Take note of me. Look at how good I am. Look at how great I am. That's what Paul is saying here. But then you go just a little bit further. Look at verse number 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. God was all about knowledge. Knowledge was incredibly important in his writings from Old Testament to New Testament. And it was something that was required, is required, in order to be well-pleasing to God. Because you can't come to, uh, to be pleasing to God without knowing something about God. And then you have to be responsive to that which you know, that knowledge. And so knowledge is important. You can't honor God without knowledge. But you may have all knowledge. You may know everything. And there's some folks who think they know everything. But you may know everything. 
But if you don't have love, you're just a nobody. You're nothing. You may have every degree and your pedigree may be long, but if you don't have love, you're just a nobody. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Giving my goods. Feed the poor, or the poor there is left out of the original, but it seems to indicate that it's talking about taking our possessions, parting them as... Uh, as Luke would write about in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 5, and giving of ourselves, giving of our possessions to tend to the poor. And I might even give my body to be burned. That word burn is, is interesting. A lot of scholars seem to think that the word that was transcribed here in uh, this verse was actually transcribed wrong because the original word and the word that was used are so similar in nature. I don't know if that's the case. It, the, the point is basically the same, but the word that's thought to be used here is actually the word glory, or one of the words for glory. And though I give my body to be burned, or though I give myself as if to be glorified within and of myself, and have not love, it doesn't profit me anything. Again, it's this idea of, I'm going to put myself up on a pedestal, and now I'm going to say, everybody, look at me, and watch what I'm doing. I'm going to pull some money out of my wallet. I'm going to withdraw something from my bank account. I'm going to go sell something. I'm going to, I'm going to do something very special with my money, and then I'm going to let everybody know about it. Today, we would say something like, we're going to post it on social media. We're going to send everybody an email. We're going to let everybody know what good that we've been doing. Well, you may be doing some good stuff. But you know what? If you don't have love, that is, if you're not doing it for the right reason, it doesn't really mean anything. God is not honored by that. What we're talking about here is we're talking about matters of essentiality. Notice on the, the screen behind me there, I've highlighted the word, the word if. If. I like the English Standard Version here a little better than what I've been reading to you from in the King James Version. So I'm going to read back through it, emphasizing the word if, so that you can see the natural contrast in the text. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, that's really cool. But if I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making a bunch of noise. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I know everything. If I have all faith, if my faith is already perfect, no need for growth. So as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I give up my body, whether it's to be burned or to put myself on a pedestal to receive glory and honor. If I do that and have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. Love is essential. 
But second of all, love is behavioral. You know, we could talk all day about, well, I just love, I don't know, lasagna. I don't know if I love lasagna. I like lasagna a lot. I love a really good cut of meat and a well-seasoned steak, you might say. Or, I really love cars. Or, I really love yard work. Or, I really fill in the blank. Whatever, you fill in the blank. You know what you've done? You have trivialized love. You've trivialized what God is talking about here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as one of the most essential elements of Christianity. Furthermore, we're not talking about a feeling or an emotion in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're talking about an action. We may have all of these things and all of these abilities, but if we don't have love, if we don't have this right action beginning in our hearts, it means nothing. So let's look in verses 4 through 7, and let's take this apart a little bit. Charity or love suffers long. Now as we're reading through this, what I would like for you to do is I would like for you to take a moment to see if you can, can, um, can catch the natural progression of what Paul is writing here. This is fascinating. And as um, Tom was teaching our class this morning, he asked the question, do we owe Paul anything? He's teaching from 2 Corinthians. Do we owe Paul anything? And I couldn't help but, you know, sitting there thinking, well, what answer is he looking for here? Is he looking for no? Is he looking for yes? I mean, I could see how it could go both ways. But as I was sitting there, I sort of had a smile on my face, and I was thinking, I don't really care what he says. Because in my mind, yes, we owe Paul something. <laughs> we owe Paul something. We just look at, it, at the things that, that, that he wrote, and we stand amazed as we try to take that content and put it in our heart and live it out in our lives. Yes, we owe him something. Verse 4. Again, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Charity does not behave itself unseemly. It seeks not our own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Now let's just stop right there. If you're following along by reading the screen behind me, it, it looked a little different than what I just read. And that's okay. I want us to unpack it now. When we look at it and we see there beginning with verse number four that it suffers long. How would you say that? I would say it the way the English Standard Version says it, right? It's patient. Love is patient. And love is kind. The uh, Sequoia High School, which is the high school that we were zoned for in Cherokee County in Georgia, 
they were a part of the big Be Kind campaign uh, back a few years ago. I don't know if that was done here or not. Probably was. I'm assuming it was. Um, but if every time I would drive by Sequoia High School, I would look at the chain link fence, and there in big letters were simply hashtag Be Kind. Be kind. They didn't come up with that. That's Bible. God came up with that. Be patient and be kind. In other words, what the writer is saying here is be empathetic. And see yourself in another person's shoes. I could not help but think of something that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, he tells a story about two individuals. Both of them were thieves. Listen to verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Before as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. And his wife and children and all that he had in payment was going to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience. There's our word. Have patience with me, and I will pay thee I'll pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. We might also see that as kindness. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence, a fraction of the amount that he had owed his master. A hundred pence, and he laid on his hands on him, and he took him by the throat, and he said, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me. I'll pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and they told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked, wicked servant, I forgave. I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion? Shouldn't you have been kind? On thy fellow servant, even as I had pity, empathy on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. And so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you eat if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Charity or love is patient and is kind. It's empathetic. It looks at the life 
of someone else, in particular, brethren. And it says, what are you experiencing right now? What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your world? I'm going to put that on before I make judgment. I'm going to envelop who you are before I come down on you. You see, it's essential to have a behavior of patience and kindness. But then second of all here, it says that it does not vaunt itself up. It's not puffed up. In other words, it's not arrogant. It's not braggadocious. It's not self-absorbed. It's not always talking about yourself, but it's listening to other people talk about themselves. Love is not jealous, as Paul wrote. Jealous. I can't help but think if Paul is referencing this idea of a competition about who had the better miraculous gift. You get to speak in tongues? That's nothing. I get to heal disease. Oh, you get to heal disease? I took it. I get to raise from the dead. I've got you all beat. I have knowledge, prophetic knowledge, that God put directly into my mind. And I can't help but if there was this bickering going on, which is why Paul wrote about this, about who had the superior gift. And Christians are not to be in competition with one another today. I see churches in competition with one another who has the largest role, who has the most people in attendance on Sunday, who has the greatest plans, who has the most youth in their congregation, who has the best programs of work. Who cares? Who cares? It's not about a competition. And sometimes Christians get in a competition among themselves. Well, I'm a better song leader. I'm a better Bible class teacher. I'm a better preacher. I'm a better note writer. I'm a better visitor. I'm a better cook. I'm a be Who cares? You know what? You know what you start to see when you get into those competition type of issues? Though I speak with the tongues of men, though I have the gift of prophecy, though I give my body to be burned, though I give my goods to... Oh yeah, you may be really good. But you don't have love. So who cares? Love is patient and is kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not jealous. It's not braggadocious. It's not arrogant. And it does not act rudely. It does not seek its own. It does not behave itself unseemly. Another way of saying it. It's not motivated by self-service. It's not motivated by I'm going to see if I can put somebody else down. I'm going to see what shameful accusation I can make against someone else. 
I'm going to see if I can discover the worst possible heart in another person. I'm going to see if I can just find all of the sin within another person, all of the whatever. I'm going to see if I can discover that because if I can really show where somebody else is messing up, then I get to lift myself up on a pedestal. Love doesn't behave that way. Love's not provoked. Love doesn't stir up strife. Love doesn't stir up contention among friends. It doesn't stir up contention and division among brethren. Love doesn't gossip. It's not a busybody. It's not easily provoked. I want you to turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are books that talk about the second coming of Christ living in view of our returning Lord. 89 verses in 1 Thessalonians and one of eight refer to the second coming. And in chapter 5, He says, beginning with verse number 10, We beg you, brethren, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. I want you to notice that, that especially that phrase, esteem them very highly in love. There's our word, love. And while it may be referencing esteeming the elders or those that are over in authority, it could most certainly, in context of the Bible teaching, especially of what we've just read in 1 Corinthians 13, it could be talking about how you and I ought to view each and every one. Do you esteem very highly in love every brother or sister in this room? Do you esteem very highly in love every brother or sister in Christ outside of this room? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Again, same thing. Repeatedly, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica in view of the second coming. And in chapter 3, he's telling us, he's telling us what the church should be like in view of the second coming. And notice with me, beginning with verse 10 again. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Makes sense. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, out of step, out of rank. Working not at all. But they've got all kinds of time on their hands, so you know how they spend it? They're busybodies. 
They're gossips. They don't go talk to one another. They talk around one another and about one another. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Interesting. The amount of time we spend on matters of discipline over this matter and this matter and this matter and this matter. And yet what Paul talks about here is discipline because of being a busybody or being a gossip in other man's matters. And yet what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is that's not love. Love is not provoked. It does not stir up. Love is not taken into account wrongs being suffered. Love is long-suffering. Love is not easily irritated. Love sees that when there are wrongs that are done, we do address them. But we do so lovingly and with discretion. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. There should be no joy in pointing out another person's wrongdoing. It doesn't rejoice in that kind of behavior. But what does it rejoice in? It rejoices in the truth. Genuine joy and genuine purpose comes in discovering the truth. And then taking that truth and implanting it in our heart and allowing that truth to just take root and to blossom and grow and to shape the way that we behave in life. Love rejoices in truth. In verse number 7, it says it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. It looks charitably on the faults of others. Why should we look charitably on the faults of others? Must we ask? What did Jesus do? The only person that ever walked the face of this earth that was perfect was Jesus. You're not perfect. And neither am I. And so when we start to think about one another in comparison with ourselves, we must realize that I'm imperfect. And therefore, I must look at other people charitably when it comes to their faults. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. And above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves, for love shall cover a multitude of sins. I wonder what would happen 
sometimes if brethren could implant that verse in their heart and what it would do for their relationships. I got a little more love. I've got a little more charity. I've got a little more grace, a little more mercy. And therefore, I'm going to be long, long, long to coming to anger and frustration. And there will be no division among us. You see, love is essential if you want to go to heaven. But love is not a feeling. It's behavioral. You can't just say, well, I feel love for my brethren. Do you show it? Here's another question. Do they know it? Finally, love is eternal. Love is eternal. We're not going to spend a great deal of time developing this, but I want to read it. Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they'll fail. Whether tongues, they'll cease. Whether knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see, though, through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest... Contextually, we might even say the perfect is love. Why? Why would love be eternal? Because there will be no need for faith in heaven. Faith becomes sight. There will be no need for hope in heaven. You've already achieved that which you hope for here on earth. But love... Our admiration and our behavior in worship, eternal worship, will continue forever and ever. Revelation chapters 4 and 5. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. The more excellent way is the way of love. It's the way of love. Do you love? It's essential. It's behavioral. And it'll be eternal. If you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that God loves you. But He doesn't just feel love for you in His heart. He did something about it. He sent Jesus. John 3.16 He sent Jesus to die for you and to die for me. And that blood as it came down from the cross, it is flowing all the way to this day. So that if you make a choice to repent of your sins and confess your faith in Jesus and to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, every sin of the past will be washed away by that blood flowing down from the cross. But if you're a Christian... And you don't love. 
you're not going to heaven. You can't because love is essential. And so as you think of those behaviors that Paul was very clear on, ask yourself, do those apply to me? And if not, change it. Change it. You can. Think about it. It's together we stand and as we sing.